So welcome everyone to the second Guanabu's podcast. Welcome Jan, welcome Theo. Thank you, Thank Stephen. Stephen. So in the first podcast, we spoke about why did we found Guana Boost and Theo, why did you invent Guana Boost as a product and, and why Guana was a raw material and what our hopes and visions for the business, which really leads us very nicely into this second podcast, which is about the need for commercial farmers and especially homeowners to reduce and eliminate chemical fertilizers from their programs. So I think it's one of our core objectives at Gowanaboos is that we can help farmers transition from a purely chemical program to either a hybrid or a, a fully organic program. And I guess I really want to ask, um, maybe start with yourself, Jan. I mean, from an environmental point of view, why is it so important that farmers and home growers reduce or eliminate chemical fertilizers from their programs? Yeah, thank you, Stephen. Um, if we just talk, look at, without going into too much detail, the importance thereof is, is I can use a simple analogy is that chemical fertilizers is like a steroid. It's like a, a bodybuilder taking steroids and it's got great results. You see it instantly and see it bulking up, but there's so many negative effects yeah. to, that, to, to using that. And I think the same again with steroids, it was only later on in, in using those type of um, uh, materials that the, the, the disadvantages started to show. And chemical fertilizers, great response. You know, if somebody say, oh, you wouldn't believe it. I've put LAN or KN on my lawn and it's green the next day. Of course it will be. It's a, it's a steroid to your lawn, but yeah. there's a very, a lot of negative effects. Now, and, and, and the same applies to the, to the agricultural market. Um, there's definitely a massive need to reduce the use of these chemicals, these steroids on our, on our soils. And some of those disadvantages, or it's not even a disadvantage, it's detrimental. It's detrimental to the environment. It's yeah. all the nitrogen flare-ups in water has a massive inf inf uh, effect on our water courses. It kills off the microbiology in our soil. So we get rid of all the, the mineralization of, of nutrients in our soil as we supply these, these chemicals to the soil. So um, not just disadvantages, but detrimental effects. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I think a lot of people are not aware of just the stages of environmental impact when you use chemical fertilizers. You've got the manufacturing, you've got the transportation, you've got the whole process of volatilization, which I want you to explain, Theo. You know, what happens to most of these products when you put them on your on your crop or your lawn? Yeah, if we just take a step back of where all these synthetic fertilizers come from, I mean, it was with the boom of the Second World War with waste materials of petroleum yeah. where they started, what do we do with this? Yeah. And it's high in single elements. Yeah. So they decided, well, what's a convenient way to get rid of all of this? Get it to the farmers. And then same with all the explosives. They have waste material manufacturing these explosives. How do you get rid of it? Give it to the farmers. They're getting results. And the the commercial machine that we've got now was born out of the Second World War. And that imbalance, it's not all detrimental, but that imbalance in just going the synthetic, synthetic, synthetic into our soil is creating this massive un imbalance everywhere in the agricultural sector. And it's not, in, it's not nature's way. Yeah. And, and, and that's a key point. You know, I think if you look at any factor of life, if you've got extreme... 
you know, extremities of anything like just chemicals and no other minerals or elements or putting organic matter back in. I mean, if you, just from a logical point of view, it has to be unsustainable. But, you know, I don't think a lot of people, and especially the home consumer realizes one of the big causes of global warming is volatization. If you put 100 kg of chemical fertilizers, for example, on your lawn. Nitrogen especially, yeah. Yeah, I mean, 40 to 60% of that is vaporizing up into the atmosphere. Vaporizing, that's probably almost the same percentage as leaching. Yes. Running into our waterways because everything in the city is paved or blacktop or anything. So if it runs off your lawn, it's in the sewerage systems and it goes to our waters, our springs, our lakes, and that goes into our rivers. So it's it's a massive chain reaction. And everybody we've in South Africa, we've got this hyacinth problem. Mm. Yes, this hyacinth is supposed to be an, an, a natural plant and it's, well, it's foreign to South Africa. But with the massive amounts of fertilizer in our water, it just exploded and we, we can't control it at this stage. And it's once again just one of those imbalances that we have to check ourselves. Yeah, I mean, for those watching from overseas, Hyacinth is a, it's essentially like a, a water lily, for want of yeah. a better description, that's just exploded throughout South Africa on our lakes and rivers. And, and these are major supply rivers and lakes to the to the water supply in, in our metros like Johannesburg and um, it's just exploded because of the amount of nitrogen that's just flowing freely into, into water courses. And in fact, for a lot of our overseas customers, it's actually one of the big constraints and worries that they have. If you look at the UK, I'm in the UK next week visiting customers there. They have nitrogen pressure zones. Mm. So the Environmental Protection Agency actually have a ratio of how much chemical fertilizer you can put down per hectare relative to your proximity to a water course. So yeah. like if you've got a farm in a, in a normal environment that's not next to a river or lake, you can, let's say, put 300 kg down, but that deteriorates or diminishes significantly as you get near water courses. And I think that's because the Environmental Protection Agency are putting that responsibility back onto the farmer. But for farmers using it in Africa, they're still having the impact of that damage to their water course. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So, you know... It kind of leads me, you know, sort of to the next topic. And we've touched on this during the course of this conversation, and that is the impact of chemical fertilizers, both on soil health and the need to start taking more cognizance of the need to improve and maintain our soil health. So maybe, Theo, you know, if you might just talk about what is the impact of putting just a chemical program, an MPK fertilizer on your soil year after year without bringing organic matter into that program? Uh We've actually started seeing the devastating effects of monocropping in the late 30s and just absolutely the desertification. It's a big word for a <laughs> big word, word for a Afrikaans <laughs> guy <laughs> of our soil. And most of our very good agricultural soil is absolutely void of life. Yeah. There's no more life-giving nutrients or biology or anything in our soil. It's just a dust bowl. It's just a dust bowl. We've, we've, we've depleted nature's way of growing a balanced life form on these crops. to just going monocropping, and when you haven't got the crop on the field, have it barren. Yeah. And there's absolutely no balance going into that anymore. I've seen this... Uh, uh, YouTube channel over the weekend, <laughs> a guy that builds terrariums 
So it's completely enclosed terrariums. Yeah, 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 yeah. For yeah. 100 years, yeah. and they will com completely outlive people. Yeah. Completely. The ecosystem. Ecosystem in a bowl. It's incredible. You know, planting trees, the microorganisms, the water will be circulated. All the nutrients will be circulated in that terrarium. It's just a, a micro, a micro ecology, you know, micro environment of what we have outside. And uh, we've just told the story that we need something else. You don't need to put a bit of fertilizer in that terrarium every few years or every few days. It just manages itself and, and nature is the same. Yeah. And I mean, it's one of the core principles that we often communicate, like we're not anti-chemicals. We're about finding that balance. And, you know, in order to attain long-term sustainability, you need to start reintroducing organic matter. So, you know, there's a really brilliant video by Dr. Elaine Ingram of the Soil Food Web. Anyone interested, go and check their, their, their videos out. It's really good. And the whole concept of nutrient cycling, maybe you want to just take us through what is nutrient cycling? And I mean, how did nature evolve to have the symbiotic relationship between the plant and the soil? Yeah, look, nutrient cycling is the complete opposite of what chemical fertilizers produce or supplies. And commercial farming to yeah, a degree. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, the, the new approach of us just supplying synthetic nutrients, and that's actually, just that word in itself is, is if you think about it, is actually profound. Synthetic Nutrients. Food. Yeah. Synthetic yeah. food. It's like a human plant. eating plastic and think it's going to be healthy. Yeah, well, it's yeah, it's like steroid taking yeah. steroids, but not feeding your body with anything else. Yeah. You know, you, you can't for a, for a moment imagine that there's any longevity in that. So, so, so synthetic fertilizers, essentially, we put it in the soil. Whatever is not taken up by the plant within a few days is back into the atmosphere because it's volatile. It was engineered through a chemical process and it, it goes back to its original form quite quickly, back mm. either, either, either through water reaching or either back into the air. And a bit of it is taken up by the plant. It gives the plant a massive boost and the farmer is happy. Nothing, very little of it stays in the soil because we don't have that organic material built up. Yeah. Nutrient cycling is the ex exchange, like we've just explained in that terrarium, the exchange of carbohydrates, sugars, um, in exchange for nutrients that goes into the plant, the plant taking the, the carbon out of the atmosphere, nitrogen out of the atmosphere, and putting binding it, into it. it, binding it, uh, turning it into sugars. The sugars gets... Um, extracted from the plant roots in, in, in a transaction with microorganisms that gives back the nutrients to the plant. And as the organic material falls, goes back into the soil composts, that becomes the next nutrition for the next season. Yeah. Um, if you look at it, the, the perfect example is a rainforest. It's absolutely leaves fall off, go to the ground, compost back into the soil, and it grows on and the cycle of life continues. Correct. Feeds the microorganisms. Mm. Microorganisms make trace minerals and nutrients available to the plant. The plant you know, flourishes. Mm. And if you look at chemical um, fertilizers and you know, commercial farming, and obviously we're not anti-commercial farming, but we've got to look at the impact of these practices where you're putting chemical fertilizers. They feed the plants some elements, as we've talked about, some of it and a lot of it's lost, but there's no trace elements, there's no microbes. And... Just maybe, Theo, explain how chemical fertilizers, the impact they have on the microbial life in the soil. And the fact that soil is live when you've got microbial life, then it's soil. When you don't have microbial life, it's just a growth medium. 
if you look at it, it's um, that single element nutrition. It's extremely high in that single element. So when it comes into contact with any of our microbial life or soil organic matter, it burns. Yes. And every farmer knows this. That's why he doesn't put his roots right up to it. He spreads it out away from this. But that burns the soil. And year after year after year of this, coming back to the explosion, why do you want your soil microbial life wanting to be close to fuel or close to a TNT source? It's just absolutely detrimental to that. It's poisoning our, our soil life. Yeah. And this leads me to the key question. So I started this podcast by saying, you know, we want to help commercial farmers reduce and home growers eliminate chemical fertilizers. How does a product like Goana Boost, which is a biostimulant, it's got microbial life, it's got nutrition, it's got trace elements, and for example, organic fertilizers from cow manure, chicken manure, how do they help mitigate the impact of chemical fertilizers? I don't know who wants to take that question. I think it's... Uh there's, there's two ways of, of answering this. And I look at it at three elements. It's on the, on the far left, we've, we've got the, the, the rainforest analogy. And the rainforest produces an awful lot of proteins, sugars, fruits. If you can just imagine how many animals actually lives off a rainforest. Mm. So that proves to us that we can do it. We can even do it without the inputs of organic fertilizers or biostimulants. Nature in itself is perfect. It will be completely self-sufficient. So it's balanced. It's balanced. Yeah. On the far other side is, is, is mega industrial um, monocrop agriculture, farming. Mon monocrop farming, where it's extremely difficult. It's impossible to do that without the use of chemical fertilizers. Definitely. Impossible. Mm. But you can have a hybrid approach there. Yes. Um, if, if you don't want to go to the completely integrated regenerative farming, which is a completely different animal in itself, because you have to have animals, you have to have different type of... It's more a homesteading crop. approach that you're talking about now, I yes. think. Yeah, well, there's, there's definitely a lot of farmers that does farm like that, yeah. that, that has adopted a homesteading, complete regenerative farming approach, and they can do it completely without buying any inputs. They don't Nothing. even have to buy organic or biostimulants. Now, what we are saying is, 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 is to that far right, where it's impossible to, to cut out your, your chemical fertilizers. You absolutely need it. Because if you look at your farm, it's through the winter or through your dry season, the farm is just completely barren. There's no cover crops. The sun just pelts down on that soil. So even if you were using something else, the soil will die over, over a short period of time. Mm. There will be nothing left. Mm. So we need the chemical fertilizers. But what can we do? What can, it's, it's like using an antibiotic. What can you do to, to, to mitigate? Um, to mitigate? Yeah. You can drink a probiotic. You can, you can make sure your gut health is to some degree um, you know, fighting the effects of the antibiotics. And, and that's where our product products comes in. Yes. Um, a chemical fertilizer in conjunction with an organic granule and with an organic biostimulant replenishes a lot of the, the microbial life, the organic matter that's needed in the soil, which will otherwise not even be there or will be destroyed. Mm. 
but also at the same time increasing the efficacy of your chemical fertilizers because yep. of what nature has to offer to it in, yep. ful in fulvic acids, all the trace elements, um, etc. So yeah. I guess that, that are, from my side or from my perspective answers the question and it's, it's to reduce the effects and long-term effects on our soil. Yeah, it's about maintaining soil health. It's about reducing the environmental impact of having to use chemical fertilizers and all of the downstream benefits of that. Yes, the, so on, on that topic, I've, I had this, I've got this saying, and I'm, I'm, you guys are probably sick of hearing it, and it's 50 years ago, we didn't know anything about overgrazing. And if you look at the Western Bushveld and a lot of parts in KZN, overgrazing has got catastrophic result, um, results to, to this day. But farmers didn't know of any better mm. until we started putting in camps, moving the cattle, not overgrazing. But until then, it's not the farmer's fault that he overgrazed. It was just a dry season or circumstances, financial circumstances or whatever. So it's not the farmer's fault this. Nobody's educating our farmers or we're educating the farmers about the consequences of overgrazing. And it's been mitigated now. People yeah. move their cattle. It's intensive grazing. It's with feed. It's, it's, it's much better managed these days than it was 50 years ago. And I think synthetic fertilizers, it's just nobody really knew what the detrimental effects of long-term use is. And most of the farmers are waking up to it in using biostimulants and organic inputs in limiting these Mm. effects. So the next topic I want to cover is the, is the whole concept of nutrient density, you know, producing crops and fruit and vegetables that are more nutrient dense. And I think one of the big things that we've seen in commercial farming is this kind of focus on yield. How many tons, how many, you know, kilograms of product to be getting out per hectare, per tree, per whatever. But in, in a way, we've lost that whole concept of you can get a tomato and it can be perfectly formed and, you know, red, but it's tasteless. Mm. You know, what is the impact again of a product like Guana Boost as a biostimulant and, or, or, or an organic granule or fertilizer on the nutrient density of a plant? Yeah, I think farmers were pushed in once again into a, a one element, one dimension result. And it's you get paid for X amount of tons on X amount of hectares. And this is what you need to produce to be a profitable farmer. The more you produce, the more profit you make. Correct. There's no gradients, no, it's either juice, B grade, A grade, or super grade. There's yeah. no nutrient density. And how many times have we spoken to our grandparents and say, tomatoes don't taste like tomatoes anymore? Exactly, yeah. It's, oh, but I don't think, it. but if you start thinking about it and analyze the thought behind it, if you feed your plants plastic, your plant will produce plastic. Yeah, I was yeah. going to... You are what you eat. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, and that's... The same with plants. Plants is what they eat. Yeah. And... The thing is, if you look at produce for humans and for human consumption, we don't... You don't go to Woolies and buy a punnet of, of, of let's say, strawberries, and it actually says what the nutrients is that it contains mm. per... You know, how dense the nutrients are. Um, it's just, oh, this is a good quality. I can see there's no blemishes. It looks fine. And it's got sugar in it. Yeah. But the, nest of, the rest of the nutrients yeah. isn't logged in it. 
it's what they say an orange of 100 years ago had 10 times the nutri yeah. nutritious value of what an orange have now. But where it really comes into play is, or I would say where it really has an effect, is on meat production. Because yes. a cow can look at uh, a bale of lucerne and a bale of lucerne this side, and the one has a significantly higher protein level, and the cow will instantly go to the higher protein level. And who's, who's more involved than who then? Yes. <laughs> and, and, and that's, you get pound for pound, you will get higher beef production. And that's why even if you buy low quality maize chop, for example, and you put that in your feedlot, you'll say, I'm feeding my cows all of this maize, but they're not gaining in weight. Why not? Because it's, it's fiber. Mm. It's not mm. the protein. Mm. It's yeah, not void of protein. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's where it has a value. But in our supermarkets these days, it's just how, it's just how long it can Last keep a shelf life. Pump yeah. it full of preservatives mm. and, and hope they buy it before. And how beautiful it looks. Mm. But grow symmetrical it. and perfectly yeah. blemish free. Yeah, it's, it's, so orange need to be the same size and symmetrical, but nobody really gives a, gives a, a damn about what's inside. It's yeah. more about just how it looks. Yeah, I mean, we've, you know, I love the story. One of our agents in KZN told me that when they did a trial with guana boost, they, they sprayed half the field even with guana boost and the other one had its normal chemical program. And they opened the gate and the farm, or sorry, the cows made a beeline for the section that had just the organic fertilizers. And, you know, what's interesting about nutrient density, that that particular pasture grass when tested at 30% higher protein. And the downstream impact of that was the cows were producing an extra liter of milk per day, just because, because of, of the nutrient density, yeah. you know? Um, so, I mean, it's, 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 all of these things are cause and effect. I mean, it's impacting protein out. Exactly, it's impacting our nutrient uptake because we're eating nutrient deficient fruit and vegetables thinking we're eating a wholesome diet. And that's why so many people now need to supplement. Yeah. You know? Then we read how much nutrients is in it. Yeah. Then you're <laughs> studying. <laughs> so another thing that's coming, and I mean, we're, we're recording this, it's uh, February of 2024 in South Africa, and there's rumblings about regulatory changes, you know? But I'm, as I mentioned, in the UK next week, and I'm visiting some of the major growers and retailers in the UK, and there's not just noise, there's screaming pressure from a regulatory yeah. point of view. I know a lot of the news is not coming to us, but all the farmers in the UK, in Germany and Holland, and they're up in arms about these regulations Absolutely. being pushed onto them. And you know, the reality is, it's been passed recently at I think COP38 in Dubai, the need for the agricultural industry to reduce its carbon footprint. Yeah, well, the COP, the Conference of Parties, is now called the Climate Change Conference. Yeah. It's, 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 it's the whole conference of parties is focused on climate change and climate change. The main culprit, according to that, to the COP38 is, is agriculture, mm. not any other industry. Well, yeah, there's, there's debate in that as well, but it's, it's almost like these, the farmer wants to say that they've been caught with their pants around the, the ankles and in South Africa, even though we haven't got a lot of regulatory limitations around fertilizer or pesticides and herbicides, we've been knowing about 
the organic exports. South Africa is a massive organic exporter for the people that doesn't know. And for the last three years, all the farmers have known that in another two years, in five years time, they have to be organic to export their produce. And none of these farmers have really done anything about it. Done anything Take about action, it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's literally that gremlin in the corner and everybody's thinking, if I ignore this and I continue on, the gremlin's not going to do anything to me, but it's just growing and growing and growing. And all of, and in another two years' time... Gremlin is becoming Chewbacca now. <laughs> well, there's no way if you can avoid it anymore. And I, I, I don't know the details, but I think it was the same way in, in Europe. I think there was fair warning. Absolutely. And unfortunately, the advisors and... The, <laughs> the the way that a farmer is quite stubborn and understandably so, I think has the has that impact. Well, I wrote I read a great blog by a gentleman. Um, used to be the editor of the UK and Irish Farmers Journal, Justin, and he's saying that you know the challenge that that we have is you know the EU will issue regulations and legislation and guidelines and. But they're not providing a back-end infrastructure to help farmers transition, you know, whether it's... So, for example, the grants are still very focused on production yield, reduction of output, instead of building a sustainable infrastructure to help farmers make this transition. And, you know, in that absence, it falls on companies, frankly, like ours. Motivate with the right incentives. Yeah. Not yeah. just a stick. Yeah. And, you know, it falls on companies like ours, like Guana Boost and other players in this industry. And we're starting to see more and more entrants, which is great. We always say a rising tide brings all boats. We don't see co competition, we see no, collaboration. It's... And the more organic products and biostimulants and microbe products that enter the market, the better as far as we're concerned. Because it's just such a big market that's more going to develop. Absolutely. And it's such a big market that's going to develop. And that really brings us to the next podcast that we want to talk about, which is the future of, future of fertigation, how we see that hybrid, that blend of long-term sustainability and long-term optimum uh, results for farmers, guys. Yeah, that hybrid. How long have they been making the Prius, Theater? 95? Was it that early? I don't know. It's the earliest than 90s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a while though, and it's been probably the most successful hybrid. product. That, yeah. So, you know, that's what Guanabus is all about. It's helping commercial farmers find not just long-term sustainability, but optimizing profits, lowering their input costs, getting the maximum out of their chemical fertilizers and finding that long-term sustainability. So hope you enjoy some, or join us on the next podcast for the future of fertigation in commercial agriculture. Thanks, guys. Thank, Thank you, Stephen. Stephen.